This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome back. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill, joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And this morning, our guest is Andre Degree, and we're going to talk about public defenders. So if you have a question about that process in Mississippi, give us a call at one 877 mpb ring That's one 877 672-7464. You can also send us an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. I'm fiddling with the computer to be able to bring that up. Good morning, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Liz. It's great to be here today. And it, I, what an honor to have Andre Degree on our show today. He represents the best of our profession. Uh, he has dedicated uh, himself for three decades uh, to public service and m- ensuring that indigent defendants who are in the justice system have their constitutional right to counsel. Uh, He serves as the uh, Mississippi State Public Defender, and he has done that since 2016. And prior to that, uh, he served as the director of the state's uh, uh, capital defense office. And so he has tremendous experience in this area, and we're so fortunate to have him on the show. Thank you, and, and welcome to our show, Andre. Thank you, and thank you, Dean, for that very nice introduction. Um, it's an honor to be here. Well, and today, uh, one of the reasons that we're we're doing this show today is that recently there was a uh, Mississippi Public Defender Task Force, and they released a report which takes a look at the way indigent criminal defendants are represented in state courts. So I try to. I know we have some lawyers listening, but I try to get everybody. On on the same page. So who is an indigent defendant? Well, that's a good question, and uh, that's a main reason for the report. It, uh, it depends. And, and <laughs> I, unfortunately, I think uh, that's going to be my answer to almost every question. Right. It, it depends. Um, indigency uh, doesn't have a specific standard. Uh, in the civil context, legal services has set up the poverty guidelines that are developed mm-hmm. by the federal government to, to determine whether or not someone's indigent. We don't have anything like that in the criminal setting. Uh-huh. The judge uh, who's presiding over the case just makes a decision on whether or not the person's indigent. You do fill out an affidavit and the judge looks at it, um, but there, it, who might be indigent in one county may not be found indigent in another. And really, from one courtroom to another, even in the same county. Okay, and so that would be based on income, if you have an income, savings, if you have a savings. Uh, does it depend on if your family has money, or do, they, do you think they just look at the individual? Well, what this report looked at mm-hmm. and, and what um, 
we're focused on is felony representation. Right. So that would be an adult defendant. Uh-huh. Um, and so you wouldn't look to their family. Okay. Now, there are some judges who do, and, and often in the juvenile setting, they look to family income. And, uh, and our position is that's really not proper because um, the, this is a Sixth Amendment constitutional right. Um, and, and so it's not the responsibility of family members if the individual who's accused can't afford counsel. Mm-hmm. It's the government's responsibility. Okay. And so uh, that brings me to the, the other part. Uh, this report talked about a, an adult felony trial. So an adult that does that mean it, a majority of 18 or 21, or is that at a discretion of the judge? It, it could actually be as young as 13 in wow. Mississippi. When we're talking about a felony, that's a criminal charge. Okay. The um, youth court could transfer a case. So anyone under 18 starts in youth court with just a few rare exceptions, uh, such as capital murder. Mm-hmm. The everyone else is subject to potentially being transferred into adult court. So you, so when we're talking about felonies, and we call it adult felony, but it's, the person may not be an adult. They may be a juvenile, but who's charged as an adult. Okay. And, and felony, that just means criminal. Yeah. Basically, um, sort of the rule of thumb is if you are subject to one year or more in, okay. in uh, incarceration, that would be considered a felony. Okay. All right. So the the next thing, everyone who's ever watched a, a TV police show has heard the Miranda warning. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have the right to an attorney. If you cannot afford an attorney, one will be provided for you. Uh, the one that will be provided for you, is that that's what we're talking about today? That That's exactly right. That's a All public right. defender. Of and, and that's that term is used loosely, but uh, that's essentially what we're talking about. Okay, all right. So, uh, listeners, we if you have any questions uh, about how our procedure works for uh, public defenders, we'd love for you to give us a call. Our number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464 and if you want to send an email I'm the only one that looks at it it's legalterms at mpbonline.org so tell us how the depending on where you live an attorney is provided for you because in Mississippi I mean if somebody lives in Hines County and somebody lives in Jackson County or uh, somewhere uh what, let me let me make sure I say it right. DeSoto County or uh, uh, what? It's not Lafayette. Lafayette. There you go. Uh, it all depends. What? Uh, how, tell us how that works. Well, the the way that came about is the the United States Supreme Court said every that the states must provide counsel um, in Mississippi. The legislature delegated that to the counties. So it developed as a county-by-county system. Um, And so in in Hines County, the primary way for delivering services is through a full-time office. Across the river in Rankin County, they have 
essentially independent contractors. They mm-hmm. they call them part time public defenders, but they're not. They don't work in an office. Uh-huh. They they're on contract to deliver. Uh, to handle an unlimited number of cases. So you would you would go down to a physical office and wait and see the receptionist in Hines County. In Rankin County, um, the attorneys are all in, in their private law offices, and they handle the public defenders generally through meeting them at the courthouse. Oh, okay. Okay. And one of the things that... In the background in, in learning about this report was that the counties are tasked with this, but counties don't acquire a lot of money. Uh, you know, where counties get money, uh, it's not easily increased. Is that right? That That's true. Um, the, the idea back in, in the 70s when this really was uh, we adopted the new code, uh, the, the the counties keep all the fine money that's collected. Mm-hmm. And, and the idea was they would pay for the court system off of the fine money. Um, eventually, the state took the primary funding for circuit judges and the funding for district attorneys on at the state level, but left public defenders at the local level. Uh, so they, they collect the fine money, and that's in theory where it comes from. Um, but, you know, there's not a lot of um, – cl- uh, the fines don't meet the needs for the systems in most places. Okay. And back to uh, how an attorney is provided for you. If you're in one of the areas that doesn't have a public defender's office, uh, is, is it the judges? How do you get uh, – how was one get a public defender at the courthouse? When when you don't uh, have an office, and even some some of the places you do, you don't you don't get a lawyer until you actually your first appearance in court. Um, what we've what we know happens in many places is you make your first appearance, the judge tells you you have a right, but you don't actually find out who that lawyer is. Uh, the we adopted the, the Supreme Court adopted new rules in the middle of 2017. They went into effect July 1 of 2017, and they tried to sort of bring some of this together and, and require the attorney be there, be appointed at the initial appearance, not just get notice okay. of the attorney. Uh, and they they've been they've require the senior circuit judge to develop a plan for indigent defense services. Um, there wasn't any additional funding and no research or expert assistance uh-huh. provided with that rule. They just said someone has to do it, so we're going to make our judges do it. And uh, now we're almost a year into these rules, and, and none of these plans have been adopted yet. And that's part of what we're saying in both the task force and our office is that there needs to be some objective standard set and, and um, so that – the, low, the person who's charged with setting up the system knows what it is they should be setting up. Right. And, you know, just as a matter of fundamental fairness, and Andre, you know, I, I know you face this all the time. The state is always represented. As you mentioned, the, the prosecutor's offices are, are much better funded. And so, uh, you know, you have people who are facing a, you know, a trained an attorney on the other side for the state and often have to go unrepresented uh, as they face, uh, you know, possible incarceration. 
All right. Well, when we get back, when we come back from our break, we're going to continue our discussion of public defenders and we'll get into uh, what the recent report talked about. If you have any questions about the laws concerning uh, public defenders, give us a call. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can also send us an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. You're listening to to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. Now, we realize that not everybody has the chance to listen to our show live, so if you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at mpbonline.org slash in legal terms. It's also available on the MPB Media app, as is all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, and our guest today is Andre Degree, and this morning we are talking about uh, public defenders. Now, Professor Gershon, you said something a moment ago, and we had a caller who um, couldn't, There, you know, sometimes people have cell phones that... Uh, they drop in and out, but his question went towards the the state appointed attorney's skill when they go up to uh, the prosecutors. And and uh, Andre, would you speak to that? Yes, um, this reform effort we're going through, uh, we're looking at. We have these ten guiding principles that come from the American Bar Association. They're generally agreed on what a indigent defense system should be. And one of the principles is that the qualifications of the lawyer should match the complexity of the case. And that's one of the things that, you know, outside of the death penalty cases where we actually, back in 2001, adopted ABA standards for qualifications of counsel. The court, not until last year, adopted qualification standards. So we've got standards in death penalty cases and have had them for a long time in death penalty post-conviction. We actually have some training requirements in the juvenile delinquency cases, but in all other cases, there there's no standard of who should be appointed to a case, and we actually, there, there are people who usually contract lawyers that are a year or two out of law school who can be appointed to a capital case, non-death penalty case, but a case that carries life in prison. So we we today have no standards of who can get a case, and uh, that's one of the one of the goals and one of the points of this report is that you should have standards on qualification of counsel and match the lawyer's experience with the complexity of the case. Well, I'm I. 
I love it when someone thinks of a list so you don't have to reinvent the wheel. <laughs> so I'm 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 glad that even though it was 2017 that the the state did adopt this uh, bar association list. It it seems quite logical. <laughs> All right. So uh, the task force, the Mississippi Public Defender Task Force that studied our justice system and uh, created the report, uh, who all was on this task force? Well, the chairman of the task force is Justice Kitchens from the Mississippi Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. We also have a circuit court judge. Uh, We have a district attorney. We have an assistant attorney general. Uh, We have a representative from the Supervisors Association. He's a non-lawyer, but because the counties are the primary funder of all indigent defense, uh, they need a voice there. We have a representative from the Magnolia Bar, which is our minority bar association in Mississippi, uh, the State Bar Association, and a public defender. Uh, and someone from the administrative office of the courts. We, we also have some legislative members, two senators and two representatives. And this task force, although the people have changed, those are the roles. Um, and they're, uh, it has operated since about uh, 2000. Right. Well, it sounds like they tried to get all the stakeholders. Uh, they did. It, it's a, a broad... Um, spectrum of stakeholders in the criminal justice system and and it's it's been a good group the the report itself was commissioned a group called the sixth amendment center Mm -hmm. and which and the funding came from the u.s department of justice okay and and so they did the report independent of mississippi which which we thought was important for someone to come in and objectively look at um the system and and make some recommendations. Fantastic. Well, we hope you're enjoying our show today. Uh, Our guest today is Andre Degree. He's an attorney. Uh, He was uh, the first director of the Office of Capital Defense Council, and he also has served as assistant public defender in Hines County. And we're talking about how public defenders work in the state of Mississippi. The this task force that came up with recommendations, uh, how how will the recommendations be put into place? The uh, the next step is we're going to get we're going to get together again later this month and and hopefully a few meetings before June thirtieth when the task force sunsets to uh, to actually start looking at specific ways we can amend our existing statutes to to develop this ability to have some state oversight and setting at least in the setting of standards and how the counties can go about meeting those standards great so i thought maybe we would go through the report and talk about uh what their findings were and and hopefully uh you know we can find out uh, how the recommendations are going so right now in mississippi there's no method to ensure that the local governments are fulfilling their obligation uh to provide effective counsel so if that that is would that speak to the quality of the attorneys that are representing indivi- the indigent uh, felony cases? The the word effective is actually a legal term of art. Oh, okay. And that comes from Supreme Court decisions, and that you're not only entitled to a lawyer who is in fact 
still breathing, <laughs> maybe even sleeping, but but at least there, you're you're entitled to effective representation, and and those standards of what it, what is effective have developed over the years, but it, it generally is not just sitting in a courtroom and making an appropriate objection, but it's investigating the case and it's meeting with the client and developing uh, a theory of defense. And so when when we say effective, it doesn't mean winning the case. Right. It means doing, making sure that the client receives due process, what the Constitution requires that he have in a lawyer. And as Andre mentioned, I mean, there actually is a case where a lawyer slept through, uh, an appointed lawyer slept through part of a, uh, a trial, and yet uh, that was not held to be ineffective assistance of counsel. I wish the standard was a little bit higher than that, but, uh, you know, they're not expecting the, the necessarily the greatest lawyer in the country, but they do want somebody who can actually speak uh, on behalf of the defendant and, and understand the defendant's legal rights. Oh, uh, well, bless, bless his heart. <laughs> and, and I guess reading this report, uh, this is how I appreciate uh, the law and legislators, uh, you know, say what you mean, mean what you say, and have everybody agree what words mean when you're trying to put something in, into effect. Yeah. Anytime you're talking to a lawyer, that the, the, <laughs> what the word means is, is very important. And you need to get the list of definitions from the lawyer before you talk to him. Right. OK. Um, one of the second uh, findings was that uh, the state, uh, they found that the state doesn't ensure the independence of the defense function. So uh, how how could a the the appointed public defender uh, not be independent? What, what they're generally talking about is independence from any kind of political pressure, because whether you're a retained lawyer or appointed, your your allegiance should be to your client. And if you're concerned about other things like. Am I going to ever get appointed again? Am I going to have my contract terminated? Um, that, and those are some of the things that lawyers reported to these independent investigators. Was they they had some most the interf- the interference was coming from judges. Okay. They, the judge selects the public defender, and so. If they want to get selected again, if they're being paid on a case-by-case basis, or even if they want to continue their contract, because the public defender is supposed to be, under statute, appointed for four years. Mm -hmm. And that public defender hires assistant public defenders. And so there's, if, if the statute were followed, then you would have that level of independence. Right. Um, so, for instance, my job, I'm appointed by the governor, but I'm only removable for cause. Right. And so if you have that in the law, then you then you have some protection. Um, what they found was we only have we now have seven public defender offices out of 82. But the other th- the other finding was that even in those seven they're not always the the statute is not always followed so if the public defender is concerned about making a motion uh, or, or proceeding in a certain way in a case that they believe is in the client's best interest but it may lead to them not being appointed again or even having a contract terminated um, 
that, that's an influence that creates a conflict in the case. And th- that was the finding of the report. Okay. Well, Professor Gershon, is this something that you would know? How are what are our, our our checks on our on our judges the judges that were would be in this situation is there uh, other than a, a, a talking to and a reminder of the rules is there a way our judges are held to what the rules are well, first of all, they are held to uh, there is a canon of judicial ethics that the judges are required to follow. And, it, you know, some of the things that uh, we expect from judges are independence, impartiality. And what Andre's talking about really doesn't sound like impartiality if the judge is trying to encourage a certain outcome by uh, limiting the lawyer's ability to practice for his or her client. Um, and so, you know, just uh, just those, uh, you know, appearance of impartiality that you can't we don't want judges to, to seem like they're showing favoritism to one one side or the other. You know, there are um, processes to remove a judge from office. It's not always easy. You know, our judges are elected. And so one one uh, one avenue for us as uh, uh, voters would be to remove judges who, who are not impartial and who uh, don't uh, give credence to the independence of the, both lawyers in, in, in the in the uh, courtroom. Liz, I think it's mm-hmm. important to point out that this is it's a 132-page report. So <laughs> somebody's going to go there looking for which judge violated this. Um, I, the, there wasn't a finding of a judge specifically right. doing right. In, any impropriety. Right. It was the perception, and it was across the state that lawyers were talking about this, and, and it's so it's it's really the lack of independence creates. The, the opportunity pers- the the lawyer is changing his practice based on his fear right. that this might happen right um, and and so that's that's I think what the uh, what the report the Sixth Amendment Center was saying was that that there's no way that we know it's affecting the representation mm-hmm. um, and and independence is the solution to that but they, there were no uh, findings against yes. any judge. Yes. Well, this is this is what I love about our our show is you know I've never been in an adult felony trial, but uh, I like to be prepared and I and I love learning about how our our state's justice system works. Everyone talks about uh, wanting to have a. a, a a good country and a good state, and and this is how it all starts with. So when we come back from our break, we're going to talk more about uh, public defenders and the Mississippi Public Defender Task Force report, which was recently released. That's going to help us uh, ship shape and uh, get things going good. Uh, if you'd like to have a question about our public defender system, our number is one eight seven seven. MPB ring. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can also send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. And you're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert. He's up in Oxford at the University of Mississippi School of Law. Uh, I'm Liz Gill, and I'm here in Jackson with our guest, Andre Degree. And we are talking about the uh, Mississippi Public Defender Task Force. We're talking about how our uh, indigent criminal defendants are represented in our state courts. So if you have a question about that, please give us a call. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. And if you want to just listen, that is just fine. We've got lots of good information that we're learning about this. One of the recommendations that uh, that the task force addressed was the right to counsel at the pretrial stage. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Um, the, the right to counsel in Mississippi attaches actually at arrest. So we have we have state court right that attaches before the federal right. Um, but there's no procedure in most places to get the lawyer even involved at the initial appearance. And so where where under the new rules we are we should be seeing an increase in preliminary hearings. So you get arrested, you you then go to an initial appearance within forty eight hours. The goal is you see a lawyer then and, and we're working towards that. And right. Then, and then Within two weeks, you should have a preliminary hearing to determine whether or not there's enough evidence to send your case on to the grand jury, whether or not you should be granted bail, um, and, and that should be considered from the earliest point. Uh, what, what happens in most places is a lawyer will be assigned to the case sometime between initial appearance and preliminary hearing, and before the new rules... There, there were fewer people getting preliminary hearings because they didn't know to ask for them. Right. So the rules changed a little bit to try to make it more automatic, as it should be. Um, but you get this lawyer uh, that may represent you for five minutes. Right. And then the case gets bound over. And so the prosecutor now has essentially permission from the judge to take the case to the grand jury. That grand jury may meet the next week or it may meet in six months. Right. And and what the report found, and they characterized it as a black hole, and is that from the waiver of the preliminary hearing, which is what we usually see, or the end of the preliminary hearing until indictment, many of the people sitting in jails in Mississippi never see a lawyer and, and essentially are unrepresented mm-hmm. during that whole period of time. And, and that's a critical period both for investigation but also uh, if the person's sitting in jail, bail advocacy is not happening. And, and we all have a constitutional right to bail except, again, in very rare cases. Mm-hmm. And they don't have a lawyer, so they can't get that before the judge. And and we had a, a lawsuit that was initially thrown out by a federal district court judge. They went to the Fifth Circuit and it was reinstated. 
uh, I believe it's against Choctaw County, where a lady sat in jail without a lawyer for almost six months. Once she got that lawyer at her arraignment on her indictment, the lawyer looked at the evidence, and within two weeks, she was out of jail oh. because it Bless wasn't her. Heart. her. <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, we want to we want to create a system so that these type of this black hole no longer exists, and that there's a lawyer representing the person at all times. Fantastic. And we do have some calls that have come in now. So now we're going to go to Ray. Ray, welcome to In Legal Terms. What's your question? <laughs> Good morning. When is the Mississippi uh, 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 Legal Task Force uh, job as it relates to um, plea bargains versus trials? Uh, I'm saying that there's a disproportionate amount of people accepting plea bargains in the state of Mississippi. Now, they may not want to call it plea bargains, but that's exactly what it is. Well, how can they help? Yeah, the um, the task force itself in this report didn't specifically look at plea bargains, but um, we we have plea bargaining in Mississippi, and the fact is that uh, ninety eight or ninety nine percent of convictions result from a guilty plea, not from a trial. Um, this is something that's been studied for the last ten or fifteen years. Is basically the the diminishing trial. Uh, we we have far fewer trials or far fewer percentage of cases going to trial uh, than we did when I started practicing law even uh, 25, 30 years ago. Um, the, the task force doesn't necessarily doesn't directly address the problems or, or the why we have so many guilty pleas versus trial. But uh, in addressing its suggestion that we improve indigent defense to include improved resources for the defense lawyers so they can do investigations, so they can spend more time with their clients. Uh, there may well be a result in more trials. And, and people like me who are trial lawyers and want to be in the courtroom would see that as a positive thing. I, I, I don't know that everyone agrees. Um, but, you know, you, you said so-called plea bargains, often th this isn't a negotiated resolution to a case. This is, here's the offer, and the lawyer says, you're going to get convicted, you need to take it, and they've got a relationship that was established in the courtroom 15 or 20 minutes earlier, and the person pleads guilty with, with no investigation of their case. So, so it's indirectly addressed in the report, um, and it's known by everyone to be uh, a, a huge area of concern. Thank you so much, Ray, for your question. Uh, we have another call. We've got Don in Jackson. Go ahead, Don. Yes, good morning. Uh, my question, I heard you say that you, you, you uh, provide the uh, public defender in criminal cases, but I see a lot of situations that are civil in which uh, particularly there are like landlord-tenant disputes and other civil kinds of matters. Uh, does, does the statute provide any provision or what, what remedy is there for for indivi poor individuals there to get representation? Well, we have a uh, civil legal services. Um, there's the Mississippi Center for Legal Services and the North Mississippi Rural Legal Services. And those are primarily funded through uh, the federal government grants. Uh, 
the uh, the difference in the two is that in you know it's long been recognized that civil legal services are important and and certainly there are people who are uh, losing property and significant uh, they have significant problems, employment issues, and things that that they could really use a lawyer for. And legal services is woefully underfunded. And I know the the Mississippi bar, with their volunteer lawyers, and uh, and the state supreme court with their commission on on civil justice, very concerned about these issues. Uh, the difference between the public defender and the legal service lawyer is that the Sixth Amendment mandates. Uh, a lawyer in the criminal case, and that's not that's not the same in the civil case. Thank you. Go down. Thank you, Don, for calling in today. All right. So that we're our guest today is Attorney Andre Degree, and we've been talking about the Mississippi Public Defender Task Force report, which has taken a critical look at the way indigent criminal defendants are represented in our state courts. So we're going to take our last break of the hour. And if you have a question about how our uh, court systems work on public defenders, we'd love for you to participate and ask a question. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can also send us an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. And if you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at mpbonline.org slash terms. It's also available on the MPB Media app, as is all our local shows. And I'm Liz Gill here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. And today our guest is Andre Degree, and he is from the uh, Office of Capital Defense Council. Uh, what do you think so far, Professor Gershon? It's a great show, and I'm really happy Andre's here. And, you know, he mentioned, uh, you know, I, I'm on the board of North Mississippi Rural Legal Services. There are a lot of great lawyers who also dedicate themselves to helping people on the civil side. Uh, we haven't reached a point in this country where we require, as Andre said, uh, lawyers to be appointed in those cases, but it would certainly be helpful. And Andre and I were talking in the break. Go ahead. Yeah, there, there is uh, one very narrow area that is is technically – uh, civil that we have uh, gotten involved with at the state defender, the um, parents who are have their children uh, 
brought into custody or have an allegation of neglect or abuse brought against them by CPS who are in the youth court system, we, uh, we are now pr- working with youth court judges to set up um, access to attorneys. We, the 2016 legislature created uh, or assigned to the state defender the training and certification of lawyers who are handling these abuse and neglect cases and working with and, the legislature in 2017 actually appropriated some funds that we could start contracting with uh, local, um, essentially giving grants to local youth courts so that they can hire attorneys. And we were building upon uh, pilot projects that were started with uh, funding from the Casey Family Fund and Kellogg and some money from the federal government that's flowing through the state Supreme Court. So those are civil cases, and and we now at the State Defender do training on parent representation, provide some technical assistance and oversight on of those sites. We're now in, uh, I believe... We have six or eight counties now that uh, their youth courts are providing lawyers to parents who are facing the potential loss of their child uh, well before the termination of parental rights. At the very beginning, we're trying to get in at intake to provide lawyers to those parents. Fantastic. We have another call on the line, and we are going to go now to Laurel. Derek, thanks for calling in today. Good morning. How is everybody doing? We're doing great. Wow. It's a great. gorgeous spring day here in Jackson. It is. Look, I have a question. It's this couple I know. Um, they are in the middle of a criminal case, and the judge told them that one of them would have to get a public defender and the other one couldn't based on the amount of money she made. Why is it that both of them couldn't get a public defense? Well, and, and that's what we started talking about at the beginning, this this indigency standard. So the, the judge has just made a decision that the amount of money she makes, she ought to be able to afford a lawyer. Um, w- because we have no standard for that, there's no way to say whether or not uh, the, the judge's decision is correct or not. Um, she, if in fact she attempts to hire a lawyer and and cannot find one, um, she would she'd have to go back to the court and explain how much money lawyers are trying to uh, to are quoting her as a retainer fee and that she simply can't afford it. Um, the the case, if it's a felony case, she can't be brought forward on, on the charges without an attorney. Um, it's important that, uh, you know, sometimes people who get in the situation with, uh, in a legal situation and they're not accustomed to the circumstances will often waive rights that, uh, that they shouldn't and they really don't want to. But, uh, but if she maintains that she and is making every effort to hire a lawyer and simply cannot do it uh, the judge is uh, judge is going to have to reassess what he's uh, his decision now there are some places where they will assign a public defender and then uh, assess a cost to 
the the person to pay that it's usually a small fee 100 to 250 dollars but they do some recoupment on that uh, there's no again guidelines even on that but uh, if she simply if she makes an attempt to hire a lawyer uh, and cannot do so the judge is going to need to appoint counsel to her Thanks for calling about that, Derek. Um, let's go back to uh, a couple more of the recommendation or the findings from this Mississippi Public Defender Task Force that was released recently, uh, looking at the way indigent criminal defendants are represented in state courts. Um, one of them was that uh, the state of Mississippi doesn't ensure that the defense attorneys have sufficient uh, time and resources, investigators, uh, social work services to provide effective representation and effective being a legal term. The, um, you know, we attempted to do a workload study through the public defender's office, and, and these are done all over the country. Uh, because we have no data being generated by mm-hmm. the public defenders as to how many count, count, how many cases they're actually handling, and also because these contracts don't don't say how many hours the person should be. They say they're they're part time or maybe less than part time, but we don't know. It's hard to figure how many. We know how many people are out there doing indigent defense, but we don't know what they're expected to do, and we don't know specifically what cases they're working on. And so that, and and we know that they don't have resources like, with the exception of the full-time offices, and not all the full-time offices, they don't have investigators, uh, they don't have access to social service providers, people who can make connections for them and help them uh, work on things that would help them on their case um, or help them prepare a defense. So um, basically what they're recognizing is that we just don't know. We are able to, we know how many cases are out there. We have a pretty good estimate on how many of them are going to require counsel. Mm -hmm. Um, But we, we have no way to link the, to say whether or not the individual lawyers are, are overworked and how many cases they should be handling. When I was looking through this, uh, the report, the the findings and the the fact of how this all works in Mississippi, one question I had was the the lawyers that are, I guess, asked by judges to represent the the not uh, public def- official public defenders, are these clients or are these cases are these workloads that the attorney does want uh, or does it take them away from their regular work and they sort of have to do it? The, I think in, in, you know, there's still the rare occasion where a, a lawyer happens to be in court when a person needs a lawyer and the judge taps them. Um, and, and generally, there, there could be a serious case where the lawyer is going to call someone, usually somebody very busy lawyer in private practice and sort of lean on them. Mm -hmm. Um, And and we have a rich history in the bar of stepping up and and handling cases like that. We all want to be Atticus Fitch. (laughs) Um, But but for the most part, the people providing indigent defense services enter contracts. They, They agree to 
um, you know, this is almost an arm's length. One of the arms is in a black robe, but it, it's it's almost an arm's length. Um, they agree to these contracts. Right. So they are willingly taking the cases. This is part of their, their normal business. One of the things that is one of the big concerns, because there's no there are no standards for what they should be doing, there's no oversight, mm-hmm. that uh, are they actually doing the work for the client? Um, and, and there's no way to tell that. Okay. I, I think we, are, we have a, a, a question that the caller couldn't stay on, and I think this goes uh, back to our legal discussion of effective. The caller wanted to know is what happens when a public defender can't provide effective counsel? Well, I think what uh, under the saying he can't, and that's sometimes because he doesn't have resources, he doesn't have time, there, there's, the lawyer has an obligation under the rules of professional responsibility to go to the court and say, I need experts, I need investigators, I have too many cases. Um, and then that gets back to, well, we're going to find someone else to do the job who will. Uh, but there, there is the lawyer, I believe, has an ethical responsibility to bring that to the attention of the court. Often that means that's the end of the job for the public defender and someone else will, will take on. And we've seen around the country some public defender offices who, who refuse to accept more cases. Mm-hmm. Well, I, that leads to the very last uh, finding was that uh, the defense attorneys carry uh, excessive caseloads. And I'm glad you spoke uh, to the ethics. I, I think every profession needs ethics and needs to follow it, and, and individuals need to be well-versed in how to act ethically in their job. Well, and then this has taken us to the end of our hour. Uh, our guest today has been the director of the Office of uh, State Public Defenders, Andre Degree. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you, Liz. It's my pleasure. And our call screener today in uh, Jackson has been Michelle McAdoo. Our board engineer in Jackson has been in Jay White. And in Oxford, we appreciate Paul Bennett stepping in to help us out today. And for Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law in Oxford, I'm Liz Gillen-Jackson. Up next is our Tuesday Southern Remedy Show, Relatively Speaking. And we hope you'll enjoy us. You'll join us again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.